A-O-G-V, and even a press. Say what's the meaning of V-A-P-O-R-S? The meaning of this word, without no doubt, means nobody want to beat that one you're down and out. Now when you're established and got a lot of money, everybody want to be your buddy and honey. Like tall buildings, they call skyscrapers. And you feel it. Welcome to episode number 130 of the Keep It To Yourself podcast. My name, of course, as always, is Jason Bolt, your humble host. And you may have noticed that we've got a slightly different beginning than we've had in recent days or weeks or whatever. That's because we're paying tribute in the beginning to the late, great Biz Marquis. The man born Marcel Hall passed away last week as I record this. He was 54 years old, and that was The Vapors. So that's how we pay tribute to him in this episode. So no Richard Pryor or Television City in Hollywood or the usual Mishagas and Mishagas that usually befits a typical Kitty Pot episode, at least of the latter times anyway. All right, well, that out of the way. I hope you all are doing well. I'm recording this episode on Friday night, the 23rd of July, 2021. The start of the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo. I'll talk a little about that. It's going to be almost but not quite loaded Jason Sports Corner coming up doing the tease. And some other stuff as well. In fact, I hate to admit this to you. This is going to be rather a sports heavy episode. So you have been warned. Feel free to skip if sports aren't your bag. Well, gang, a lot of water has been flowing under the bridge since last I spoke and you listened. This is the vanity portion of the episode, if you haven't known already. The same day I went to the track, Saratoga Race Course, my dad was discharged from Berkshire Medical Center in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. As you may recall from the last episode, my father was admitted with stomach pains or something like that. We thought it was going to be serious. Thankfully, he overcame that. He was discharged Thursday as I was at Saratoga Racecourse, and holy moly, was it great to be back at the spa, beautiful, historic Saratoga Racecourse, my beloved hometown of Saratoga Springs, New York. All told, there are almost 28,000 people who attended opening day. Many of them got in for free due to proof of COVID vaccinations by way of the New York Excelsior Pass. I have that on my phone. Hopped on the bus, really excited, all ginned up to be back, giving to charity at the track, not at the casino. I did that weekend, more on it later. And for my first bet on premises in almost two years, for the very first race, I put down $2 to win on number four, then I did a $1 exacto wheel four with number five, number six. Well, everything went good on that front, except the number five horse won the race, and four and six were virtually nowhere to be seen. They were right behind them. Not how exacto wheel works, folks, but there you go, so... That was three bucks right down the old shitter. Well, I took a break for the second race, and there's been some changes made for Between Races Entertainment at the spa. They had a band set up to play between races. Heard them between the first and the second, the second and the third. I did not place a bet on the second race. It was going to be a little warm out. The heat, maybe the humidity would have been too much for me, so I limited my time outdoors. And also money, too. Don't forget that. So, between the first and the second races, I went to the At The Post bar. No, I didn't drink. I went past it. And there's a little property which has been open for over a decade now. They have a steak shack stand. A shake stack. A shake stack? Shake shack. Hello. Made me feel great, you know. Whoops. <laughs> and then next to it, there used to be a box frites. Where you get fries and whatnot. 
The Shake Shack line was holy moly. It was long. It was going to take me a while. It would probably be about the third race by the time I got the place in order. I was originally going to make something to avoid concession stand extortion, but I said, Jay, this is your first visit post-COVID. You weren't allowed to come last year because of all the restrictions in place, social distancing and all that. Treat yourself. Go for it. Be a devil. So, all right. The box freeze line, there was virtually nobody there. It may as well have been deserted. So let's do it. So I ordered a chopped steak sandwich. Had some Kansas City barbecue on the side. And God dang, did it taste good. Then I've been on the third race. I decided to go across the board on the number nine horse. Finished middle of the pack. So there you go right there. The lament of the Aspergian horse player. So I got out of there after the third race. And that was pretty much it. Just stayed home. My dad was back at my... He's back at his companion's place, pronouns, pal. In North Adams, he would not come home until that weekend. And speaking of which, more gambling trouble. I made the mistake of going to, with my dad and his companion to the Saratoga Casino Hotel Money Grab type place. Put $5 in the penny slots. Gone in 10 minutes. <laughs> that was a good run, though. Hopefully I don't become a problem gambler after hearing all this. Well... This was supposed to be the weekend, well, not when I'm recording this, but the one before where my dad's companion's granddaughters were, were going to come stay with us, but dad's medical troubles put those on the back burner. They came over this past week as I record this. So they had themselves a time. Apparently, Northam's is probably the most boring place on earth if you're a kid. They had themselves a time. They couldn't believe the stores at the Clifton Park Center Mall near us. Unfortunately, one wanted to get their ears pierced, so that didn't happen. Then the next day, they took the two grandkids and my nephew Hunter to this little animal zoo place near Gloversville. They had themselves a time, went back on Friday, and it's a lot quiet now here at Bullet House. So quite an interesting week and a half here as we get the pod going here, episode 130. Also, the previous Saturday night, I had the Zoom interview with Jen Lounsbury. If you haven't had a listen to that, please go ahead and stop this episode or wait till you're done listening to this episode do have a listen to it no matter what all right folks it's time for a somewhat but not quite loaded jason sports corner here if you're not a big sports fan or any level please feel free to go ahead and fast forward i keep meaning to put timestamps in the teaser text i haven't failed to do it i apologize for that all right with that out the way Got a little sports talk here. A lot of stuff's been happening. NBA Finals, first off, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Their first NBA title in half a century. 1971 was the last time they won it. They had a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, heard of him, on the team. Now they got guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Great time in Milwaukee. The Deer District was absolutely rocking. The Fiserv form, likewise, even with COVID restrictions. Fans in the building. I didn't really watch the game. I did follow along. I don't watch much sports on television, but I will follow along thanks to like ESPN apps and all that and social media to a lot lesser extent. So a great time there. Bad luck for the Phoenix Suns. Their first appearance in a generation. 0 for 2 in the final. Actually 0 for 3 going back to the mid-70s. That great 76 finals when they lost to Boston Celtics. Speaking of basketball, I've been digging these games in the basketball tournament. Go back to an episode of three years ago where I first started raving about this tournament. So great. You have the Elam ending. Go look that up. I'll put the Wikipedia link on the 
teaser text there. You just have a look there. There's a team in there for the first time ever. It's called the Autism Army. So I'm all for that. I'm hoping they go far in this tournament here. They play their first game on Sunday as I record this, and I'm looking forward to sitting down, relaxing, and having a peep at that game. Also, watch the British Open. Colin Morikawa took it down at Royal Sandwich Golf Club in England. A lot sunny day, and oddly enough, weather-wise, the weekend, it was nice and sunny in the southeast of England. We had weather more typical British Opens pass here in the rolling hills of Saratoga County, New York, from which I'm coming to you today. So there you go right there. American Century Championships the week before. That's a fun one right there. That's a tournament I look forward to the most. Lake Tahoe, you got the mountains. You got people watching the on the beach. 17th holes right along Lake Tahoe. You got the basketball hoop. There's a DJ playing music, the 17th. All these celebrities, you know, sports personalities from football and basketball, actors, musical artists, one thing or another, having themselves a ball, letting loose on the golf course. Everybody has fun. If I lived out west, I'd certainly be attending this tournament. I'd be having myself a ball, especially as most golf tournaments are rather stodgy and, you know, kind of like, so not this. This is about the opposite of golf as you can get in terms of atmosphere and having fun. So they go right there. And we also got the Olympics, which I'm not particularly into. Now, I don't know if it's COVID or old age or I really don't know, to be honest with you. I'm just not feeling it with the Olympics, dog, to quote the late, great Randy Jackson. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Was he the MTV VJ? Was the American Idol judge? Oh, that was J.J. Jackson. Whoops, sorry. Whoopsie daisies. All right. Well, thankfully, this is a painfully short for you anyway, if you're not a sports fan, Jason Sports Corner. But the bad news is we got more sports to talk about, and we're going to take a deep dive into baseball in the 70s. Coming up right now. Ah, the 1970s. The decade of disco, leisure suits, political scandals, and overall unease. In fact, take out the first two items and you've pretty much got these times. Baseball, much like the world of sports in general, began the decade being insulated from the outside world, only to end it transformed and forced to deal with the changes it had wrought. We'll discuss the effect of these changes, but we'll also throw the spotlight on some lesser talked about events along the way. The night before the morning in America, it's a chronological look at baseball in the 1970s. Henry Louis Aaron was born on February 5, 1934 in Mobile, Alabama, one of seven children born to Herbert and Estella Aaron. One of his siblings was Tommy Aaron, who played in two different stints with his brother and hit 13 home runs his entire career. Wait until you hear how many Big Brother accumulated. As a child, Aaron idolized Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. His family, however, couldn't afford baseball equipment, so he practiced by hitting bottle caps with sticks and making baseballs out of whatever stuff he could find on the street. Aaron attended Central High School in Mobile, but organized baseball wasn't a thing at many high schools during that time. Thus, he went and played for a semi-professional team known as the Mobile Black Bears, where he played third base and in the outfield. 
At only the age of 15, Aaron briefly left school to try out with the Brooklyn Dodgers and hopefully play with his idol. Unfortunately, he didn't earn a spot on the team and finished his secondary education at a private high school. With his education in the rearview mirror, Aaron signed with the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro American League and spent three months in a league that would be part of history a decade or so later. Aaron played shortstop while earning a cool $200 a month. His play on the Clowns was enough to get looks from major league clubs, and both the New York Giants and Boston Braves came calling with offers by way of telegram. Aaron would have been teammates with Willie Mays, but the Braves offered Aaron $50 more a month in their contract, so there he signed. Even though he was on a Negro League club, Aaron and his teammates experienced more than their fair share of racism in 1950s America. One time when the clowns were in Washington, Aaron recalled an incident at breakfast. We had breakfast while we were waiting for the rain to stop, said Aaron, and I can still envision sitting with the clowns in a restaurant behind Griffith Stadium and hearing them break all the plates in the kitchen after we finished eating. What a horrible sound. Even as a kid, the irony of it hit me. Here we were in the capital in the land of freedom and equality, and they had to destroy the place that had touched the force that had been in the mouths of black men. If dogs had eaten off those plates, they'd have washed them. End quote. Aaron was sent to the Braves affiliate in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, a Class C team known as the Bears who played in the Northern League. Aaron's play earned him a unanimous Rookie of the Year designation in 1952. The following season, Aaron was promoted to their Class A club in Jacksonville, Florida. Aaron led the South Atlantic League in batting average, home runs, and RBI the following season, among other categories, which earned him most valuable player honors. He also balled out in Puerto Rico, where he avoided conscription into the military after the team for whom he played convinced the draft board he would integrate the Southern Association, doing so with the Atlanta Crackers, the Braves' AA affiliate. The ATL will come up later in this story. Foreshadowing, kids. Aaron experienced even more racism in the Southern League, even being separated from his teammates on the regular due in no small part to Jim Crow laws. All this racism discouraged Aaron from continuing to pursue his big league ambitions, but his brother Herbert Jr. told him to keep going. This, along with his upbringing, motivated him to become an advocate for civil rights during a time when segregation was still order of the day in the southeastern United States. In 1954, Hank Aaron got called up to the show when he joined the Braves, who had just relocated to Milwaukee the season previous. On April 13th, Aaron made his MLB debut and couldn't get anything past Cincinnati Reds pitcher Joe Nuxhall the five times he faced him. Four months and change later, Aaron hit his first home run off New York Yankees pitcher Vic Roski. It would be the first of many more. Two decades, a World Series championship, and another relocation later, Aaron was in pursuit of Babe Ruth, who hit 714 home runs in his storied career. As the 1973 season drew to its end, there was speculation afoot that Aaron would surpass that milestone right then and there. On September 29th, he got within one of the Bay by hitting his 713th dinger against the Houston Astros. Unfortunately, he wouldn't be able to make history that season. 
Aaron faced many death threats during the offseason, and even he expressed concern he wouldn't live to see the following season. He also received tons of support despite the bigotry, getting more mail, 930,000 pieces all told, than anyone aside from politicians. Even the comic strip Peanuts got involved, with Snoopy, Charlie Brown's pet beagle, taking the role of Hammer and Hank being the target of the ire of Lucy Van Pelt, the strip's resident crab apple. While that was lighthearted, by comparison, Louis Grizzard, a popular columnist in the South at the time, quietly wrote an obituary for Aaron in an Atlanta newspaper, while Sports Illustrated wondered about his fate out loud. Is this to be the year in which Aaron, at the age of 39, takes a moonwalk above one of the most hallowed individual records in American sport? Or will it be remembered as the season in which Aaron, the most dignified of athletes, was besieged with hate mail and trapped by the cobwebs and goblins that lurk in baseball's attic? Just the same, the Braves' 1974 campaign began on April 4th in Cincinnati. Aaron was asked by team management, led by President Bill Bartholomew, to sit out the entire three-game series so he could both tie and potentially break the record in front of the home crowd. However, Commissioner Bowie Kuhn found out about the plan, and he accused Bartholomew of, quote, undermining the integrity of the game, end quote, and demanded Aaron play at least two of the three games. Aaron had hit the big 4-0 by this point, and the years of playing baseball at the highest level had caught up to him, if not lapped him completely. In his first at-bat of the season, Aaron hit a solo shot off Jack Billingham to tie Root's record. 3-1 pitch. There's the drive into left field. That ball is going, going, and out of here. Henry Aaron has just tied Babe Root in the all-time home run parade. The standing ovation, his teammates are there to greet him. A three-run blast by Henry Aaron has tied the great Babe Ruth. The record, they said, that couldn't be reached has just been reached by Henry Aaron. Shortly thereafter, Kuhn and then-Vice President Gerald Ford congratulated Aaron on the accomplishment and then dropped this comment. Thank you very much, and I'm just glad it's almost over with. Thank you. Unfortunately, Aaron would not make any further impact in the rest of the series. Also unfortunate was Coons congratulating Aaron at Riverfront Stadium would be his only public appearance in the Buckeye State as regards this milestone. Four nights later on April 8th, Aaron was in the lineup and set to make history. It was a packed house at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, almost 54,000 all told, and the game was even broadcast on NBC with the late great Kurt Gowdy on the call. Kuhn, however, didn't travel to Atlanta as he was back in Ohio addressing the Wahoo Club, the Cleveland Indians, soon to be Guardians, booster club. In his stead, he sent Monty Irvin, a former Negro League and Giants legend, to the game. In the second inning, Aaron drew a walk from Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Al Downing, much to the fans' ire. Two innings later, he served up a one-ball no-strike pitch to Aaron and this happened. Sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time. And if
Tom House, a Braves bullpen pitcher, caught the historic ball and ran over to give it to Aaron as the rest of his teammates mobbed and congratulated him at home plate, thus denying House of a $25,000 bounty placed by entertainer Sammy Davis Jr. to anyone who grabbed the hold of the memento. While rounding second base, Aaron was at first flustered to see two young white men running alongside him on the base paths, but he paid them no heed, even with the death threats he received leading up to achieving this milestone. Also waiting at home plate was a more gentle soul, wearing a light tan overcoat, waiting to interview Aaron. His name was Craig Sager, who was a reporter at a TV station in Tallahassee, Florida at this time, and would go on to wear more, shall we say, stylish garb on NBA sidelines during TNT telecasts until his death from cancer in 2016. Aaron would finish his career with 755 home runs, 760 if you total both Major League Baseball and the Negro Leagues, only two shy of Barry Bonds, who broke his record in 2007. Aaron did so in 1976 in the city where his career began, only this time the team was called the Brewers. Aaron would return to Atlanta and hold various front office positions with the Braves, including that of Senior Vice President. In 1999, to honor the 25th anniversary of 715, MLB announced the creation of the Hank Aaron Award, which is given to the best offensive player every season. He lived in the Atlanta area until he died in his sleep on January 22, 2021, just a few weeks before what would have been his 87th birthday. His funeral cortege passed by the spot where his 715th home run landed that April night, the only part of the launching pad that has remained standing since the ballpark was torn down in the late 1990s. A lasting monument and memorial to a player who spoke more with his bat than anything else. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little bit of history. We're going to end the show now with some pod shout-outs. First up, Greetings from Allentown is now bi-weekly. Much like this podcast, but we got some more frequency going on with these episodes. But GFA Live, Peter Winston and Keith Langston did a live watch of an episode of WCW Saturday Night that aired June 3rd, 1995. And speaking of WCW, Steve Bennett, host of the Sportscasters, more on that in a bit, and Dave Rollins took a look at Hulk Hogan's appearance on WCW's Bash at the Beach pay-per-view 25 years ago this month, 1996. And Steve, on his main podcast, The Sportscasters, had Kenny Albert, legendary son of equally legendary sportscaster, now retired, Marv Albert, and Brian Raftery talked about this podcast that's going to be coming out, a podcast series, rather, called Gene and Roger, about Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert, and the revolution, culturally, that they caused with their film review show. So that should be good listening right there. The Break It Down show, I listened to a great episode with Donnelly Wilkes, who became a doctor just as he went into Iraq, in a book called Code Red Fallujah. And there's some great stuff, too. There's more current episodes on his YouTube channel that will eventually make their way to the podcast feed. And the Loyal Littles podcast, John Magnu and Sarah Coelho were also interviewed as well. So check those podcasts out. As for this little dog and pony show, as for this little dog and pony show, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, the podcast if you're choosing. And less availability, unfortunately, for my true crime podcast, CR Crime, True Tales of True Crime That Happened in New York's Capital Region. 
The interview I did with Jen Lounsbury is in the most recent episode, as is the last episode of the Old Kitty Pot. So check both those out. Or one. Don't care. As for this podcast, if your podcatcher has rating and review capability, give me a five-star rating and a good write-up. I'll truly appreciate it. It helps me out. Thanks in advance. Well, folks, we've come to the segment that closed out every episode of the Kitty Pod. It's called One More Thing. And this is where I talk about something that's been on my mind recently. And rather recently, I watched a video on YouTube on the Hills channel about the rapid, as they put it, decline in male friendships in the last decade or so. Usually, you know, we I'm a guy like you or somebody is listening. And you go through friendships, you start in school, then you go on through life, you go high school, then things kind of break apart as you go off to college, and then you get in the workforce, and then the older you get, then you get married, then you start settling down, raising families. The kids become your number one concern at that point. As somebody who doesn't have children himself, at least none that I know about, it's kind of disconcerting for somebody like your boy. Now, I joined Facebook in 2009, and I was looking to recreate with not recreate, reconnect, hello, recreate some good times while reconnecting with other people. And a number of my high school and college friends were quick to add me to their friends list once I first joined. You know, Adam Parada is chief among them. He's number one in my mind. We had a good friendship going, then he went off to graduate school at Southern California after the summer of 2009 when I joined Facebook. He's still in Los Angeles ever since. He's gotten married so far as I can make out, and now he's become a dad. I've had this on my mind because I've wanted to get apes on the podcast to talk about coming to America. That was back in March. Here we are almost five months later. Hasn't answered any of my text yet, so I guess that friendship's done broken off, in my opinion. I've been it's hard to maintain friendships in the normal circumstances. Throw somebody like me in the autism spectrum, doubly so. It just, you know, seems like your life's stuck in one gear, everybody else is moving on and packing up and going away and all that you know people have been moving out too so they just come in and out of our lives ever so briefly i think will wheaton said in stand by me people come in and out of our lives like busboys in a restaurant truer words were never spoken in my most humble opinion and we're as i record this i am three weeks away from my high school's 20th reunion we got a whole weekend of events planned we got four of them too not too many Enough for everybody to tolerate. We got a night out at a bar someplace. It's going to be a nice early time. We got a little family-friendly picnic going, a bonfire at a soon-to-be-determined place. Then we got a farewell brunch. The Friday night's going to be the only one's going to be adults only. And I'll have to deal with my classmates taking the role of parents and old friends simultaneously. Friday and maybe the Sunday, not Friday, Saturday and maybe the Sunday event. So... This was a time for deep reflection, and that Hill video really got the ball rolling on this one more thing segment at the end of this podcast. It's been difficult. You know, Adams hasn't responded to my text. It's been hard to, and Derek Pedrick, too. I don't want to blame him if he's listening. I, you know, I sent him a text last week, and I didn't know how long my dad was going to be in the hospital. I said, hey, man, what you up to this weekend? Over a week later, he may as well be a dad himself because he hasn't responded all that time. He must have got busy somewhere. I don't know if it's my fault. I can't really put my thing. I can't really put myself in the blame corner for that whole deal. But it did give me food for thought that Hill video that the rapid decline male friends some could be declining rapidly than even they were letting on. 
So they have it right there. Well, hopefully the kitty pot hasn't been in similar decline that you're still able to enjoy. As I stay at the end of every episode, I never take the audience for granted. Never have, never will. I may have taken some of my friendships for granted, but that's just how it is. So as ever, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you real soon, whatever that may be. The next one. And as always, and above all else, wait for it. Wait for it. Keep smiling. Otis lives. Sit, boo boo, sit. Good dog. <laughs> Aaron experienced even more racism in the Southern League, even being separated from his teammates on the regular due to in no even the comic strip Peanuts got involved with Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Charlie.